Hey guys, and welcome to Overtly Casual, the podcast brought to you by DJ NV Charlemagne the God and Angela Yee. Okay, now I have to redo it again. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you can't, you can't redo it. We just have to go with it. Just let it roll? All right. Yeah, hey, just- guys. <laughs> hey, guys. Welcome to Overtly Casual. Um, that, if you don't know, is the intro to The Breakfast Club. Uh, decent little interview platform. But uh, what is up, Tyler? Not much. Just chilling here in my closet slash office getting ready to chop it up with you as if we haven't done that already for at least two hours today. <laughs> yeah, the, the closet office is pretty suave. Now that we're packing out the house and we're moving all our shit out, it's actually pretty clean in here. There's nothing random sitting around. Everything that's still here has a purpose, and it's it's calming, dude. I got some feng shui action going on. Yeah, so I had somebody say that about my apartment, too, like, and I keep looking at stuff to add to my apartment, but everyone uh, kind of compliments like the minimalism of my apartment. Like everything is functional, I guess is how you would put it. Uh, everything serves a purpose and it just kind of helps you to clear your mind. You know, anytime that you clutter and it's nice to have things, don't get me wrong. And I like to have nice things. Like I want quality stuff, but my goal right now, especially moving like transitioning out of college and into my career and stuff is to acquire quality things, but not to like crowd myself up. So, and you'll see that too. I'm sure, I mean, you've, you've done a major move before somewhat major. Um, and, and when you do that, you realize, dude, I am so ready to throw all my shit out. Like this is such a headache. Why, why do I even have this? This has been setting in a corner for the past six months. I haven't even looked at it. I want to throw this shit away. Like, I'm like, why do I have 10 backpacks? which backpacks are one of those things that's like, you can't get wrong, but why do I have so much stuff? I have to store this stuff. It's just a headache, you know? Dude, my backpacks are the one of the only things that I'm not going to throw out. Like, um, yeah, that's what I'm noticing is like the amount of books that I have that I'm like, dude, I read that years ago or some books I haven't even read yet that I got out of the bargain bin at Barnes and Barnes and Nobles. And, uh, like, I look at it, and I'm like, fuck, I wish I had Audible or the Amazon Prime uh, Reader. I, I don't know if it's anything different, but the uh, the Kindle, that's it. Uh, the Kindle or Audible. I wish I had that, like, six years ago. But, yeah, I've done no, a couple. I, I, I don't know, man. Like, I completely disagree with you there because I've done audiobooks, uh, which I still like audiobooks. Don't get me wrong. I think they're great. Uh, I prefer podcasts just because it's kind of like a free audio book. It's kind of similar content, especially I noticed for me, like uh, what was that book? The Aubrey Marcus book. Uh, uh, own the day. Own the day, own, own your life. So I, uh, I didn't get the physical copy for that. And that was one of the first audio books that I ever listened to. But then I went to his podcast and his podcast was like incrementally breaking down each subject, which he has a pretty good podcast himself. He's kind of, what you would call a hippie but back to the subject for me like having the physical book it it, and not only i comprehend it better whenever i'm reading off of a physical text i think it's aesthetic like i have a a bookshelf in my bedroom and i'm actually looking at uh, a shelf in my office space right now that would look pretty cool with like with like some bookends and stuff i don't know i it, it depends on who you are it's all preferential but i don't really like keeping all my books electronic i don't like that idea yeah it's too easy to ignore them i do love the paperbacks like paperbacks the thing that's different for me is i feel like you get immersed in paperbacks but with the audiobooks or the uh the kindle like it's way too easy to click over to like whatever news you consume or like over to twitter or anything like that yeah it really is and like you you just kind of get distracted uh, through those things and for me like I try to limit especially at night I know some of those you can like change the settings with blue light and uh, I have the blue light glasses now but I get dry eyes pretty bad so whenever I'm looking at screens and stuff it's just aggravating and I look at screens at work all day and then I come home and you know I might be uh, on Twitter interacting with people and stuff like that 
So by the end of the day, if I want to read a book, I want to grab the physical copy and actually look at something. I'm so sick of looking at screens by the end of the day. But with that spill, just throwing that into the air uh, for anyone who gives a fuck. I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about books, too. Like, uh, have you read any good books lately? Uh, I hate this question because the answer is inevitably no. I did, however, I read a book. Uh, it was a fuck. Let me pull it up. It's about uh, Levi Strauss, I think is how you say his name. He was an anthropologist in the 20th century. Um, hashtag most boring shit ever. I know. Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's not bore us to death. Wait, wait. It is a – hold on. I'm pulling it up right now if I can find it. Um, it's a it – basically, it, it's a – I'm missing the words. Okay, it's a graphic guide. Introducing Levi Strauss, a graphic guide. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. He was kind of like a French anthropologist. Um, but he, his, uh, he, he talks a lot about some really boring shit that no one's going to care about. But uh, he was fringe, but – he's becoming more relevant today. Uh, he was very open-minded. Whereas in the 20th century, anthropology was not open-minded, but Dude, I, won't go down, I won't go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a long one. But on that subject, if you're listening to this, you're, if you're even remotely interested in anthropology, which I never have been in my entire life, not into the history channel or any of those shows. I listened to Graham Hancock's podcast with Joe Rogan. And that one legitimately changed the way that I looked at human history completely. So I'm just going to give a quick plug as if he needs it to Joe Rogan's podcast with Graham Hancock and just Graham Hancock in general. The dude is hella intelligent for lack of a better word. I mean, he, he, he has some really innovative ideas. And I think, again, he, he's like one of those very progressive anthropologists. He has very innovative ideas. But yeah, definitely check that out. Um, and I kind of was giving a douchey segue into letting you know about uh, a book that I just finished up recently and I'd recommended it to you. And I know you kind of brushed me off because you said that you had, uh, seen one of, uh, or, or met one of the author's trolls, which he has a lot of them. Um, but Dave Ramsey's book, the total money makeover again, I hate to be plugging everybody here. Uh, if you have trouble budgeting, uh, if you have any financial issues, if you have a lot of debt, trouble getting out of debt, it's more for me, like it was like more of like a psychological book. And it was an interesting perspective on consumer behavior and things like that. Not really anything that was applicable to me or anything, any of the principles that I really needed because I'm kind of a natural saver. But um, if you check out that book, it, it, it's one of those that completely changes. It flips the script on debt and consumer behavior. And oddly enough, I work at a bank, but your perspective uh, on banks, too. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but I just wanted to throw that out there uh, to the listeners and tell them to check that out. So I troll Dave Ramsey. I do. Um, only it's, you know, mostly out of justice, mostly just to mess with you. But uh, a true story, a dude in my unit currently that you would think is a fucking thumb, dude. If you saw this dude, if you heard him speak, you would think he's a thumb, right? Um, but this guy, he read Dave Ramsey's book a couple of years ago. He's been in the military for like nine or ten years, something like that. You know, close to a decade, if not a decade. Uh, he's just turned 30, and he has over $100,000 uh, just in his savings alone, and then another fifty k in a portfolio, an investment portfolio. And he's like, yeah, when I was, you know, in my early 20s, I read Dave Ramsey's book and like or one of his books, one of his many books. And he, you know, he got after it with that. I, I mean, I don't know if there's anything to it. I, all I know is that I look at myself and I have nowhere near a hundred thousand dollars. I don't even have remotely close to that. It is, you know, infinitely below that. Uh, <laughs> but in my savings and this is a guy who's made He's made $40,000 a year for the last 10 years, but he has $150,000 in life savings diversified, you know? And well, pretty... that, dude, that is like, that's, that is like on the low end too. I mean, he's just getting started on his investment journey. It sounds like, but I mean, having a hundred thousand dollars in a savings account is a great feat. 
Um, you know, it, there's a couple different things that the book highlights that like people are not taught in school. If you can read one book, if I could tell people to read one book to make them more financially literate, it would for sure be uh, Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey or just check out his podcast, listen to a couple episodes. And this goes for anybody, man. Like your mindset on debt will change. And like if you're an 18-year-old or a 16-year-old, any of you guys who are about to start start college, he teaches you little things, like little mind shifts that you can do. So for me, uh, I look back, I read his principles, and I'm like, dude, I was a total dipshit whenever I was 18 years old. And for me to be so stupid, I made so many wise decisions. I went to, instead of going to Marshall University, where I was enrolled in, I transferred back to a regional college that was close to home and just paid rent there. Um, I saved over my college career 7000 a year. So total, I avoided $28,000 of debt. So just little things like that. Like he, he, he recommends you go to state colleges, community colleges, look into alternative sources for income, walking people's dogs, getting two jobs, uh, cash flowing your college instead of taking out student loans and understanding the way that uh, interest will affect your t the principle of your debt and different things like that, man. I mean, you know, I, I it just excites me. Like, that's one of the topics that I, I would really like to talk more about on this podcast. And if you get the chance to read the book, I, I'll get you a copy whenever you move here. Um, but just for conversation's sake, I think it's a great, great thing to dive into, you know? What, uh, what a lot of people don't talk about and, this is something that um, I think was built into us from a young age because our parents didn't, uh, they didn't trust credit cards or they didn't trust bank loans or anything like that. But what a lot of people don't think about is if we focus heavily on the accrual of a savings or an investment portfolio, which is, is really important. It, it's more important than anything. Right. Um, but we don't talk about, enough as far as we the youth we don't talk enough about debt avoidance because dude i know so many guys in the military that had to quit school their junior year and enlist in the military to get their loans paid off because they were shackled by a quarter of a million dollars of debt yeah and to me like that that's more of like a problem with their relationship with debt and that can be fixed that's the problem it's not it's not an issue with the system because these higher education, like these institutions, uh, they charge a super high premium. So if you want to go to a really nice school, uh, not a state college. So for example, the difference Marshall is still a really affordable school in the state of West Virginia, but the difference in going there and staying in dorms and me staying at a local college and just paying rent, it saved me around $7,000 a year. And those are the little decisions that people can make because they, they think that they don't have an option. So for me, like I said, looking back at 18 year old me and me being intelligent enough to say, damn, am I really going to take on $30,000 in debt to get the same exact degree? And sometimes you just got to swallow the pill. But looking back on it, it was one of the best decisions I ever made, just having an open mind and going to a place that was close to home and just getting an apartment. And I met some of my best friends in college. Uh, actually not some of, I met my best friends in college and they're going to be people that, uh, you know, I spend the rest of my life communicating with and my college experience wasn't any different. If anything, it was better. Um, so people, people just need to have an open mind because what I thought going to a, a local college was going to be like was actually way better. And then, you know, there, there's other things too that Dave talks about, like just sacrifice. Um, this isn't something I was fortunate enough to have uh, inherited your car that you got after you left uh, for the military. But for the kids out there that don't have cars and stuff, look into public transportation. I knew a couple of kids while I was in college who would ride public transportation to school and then uh, ride it back at night after they got out of class. That's hustle. That's somebody that's not going out here and signing their name for a $15,000 loan on a car that they can't afford. Um, I just think there, there's little things that you can do if you have an open mind. And again, that's just, that's a topic that I think we should definitely build on that excites me. 
Dude, you know, you know, a similar, um, like the worst mistake I made as a young dude, I think I was 19, maybe 20. I was 19 going on 20. Uh, no, I was 19. Um, so 19 year old me. So in the military, you get a, a stipend, a monthly stipend. If you live off of base, you get a stipend for food and you get a stipend for housing. And it's based on your zip code. So if you live in Washington, D.C., you may get $2,000, right? Well, right. here in New here in Clovis, New Mexico, you get uh, at the time for us it was like seven hundred bucks for the the and it goes by rank too. So the higher your rank, the more money you get. They want you to live nicer, right? Um, for me, it was seven hundred dollars. The worst decision I ever made is I did something called ghosting the dorms. So if you don't live off base and you're new to the military, they give you a dormitory for free. You have access to a pool, the gym. Uh, the food is all free. You go to the dining facility or DFAC as we call it. So you go to the DFAC and you eat for free. You drink for free. Everything is free on base, all the amenities. Uh, if you want like potato chips and shit like that or beer, you have to buy it yourself. But you don't spend any money on food and you don't spend any money on housing. No electricity, no Wi-Fi was free. That's not everywhere that it's free, but it, it was free here. Um but one of the worst decisions I made is I did something called ghosting where you don't get approved off base, but you still choose to move off base. So you don't tell anybody in the military, none of your leadership, you don't say, Hey, I'm going to lease a place in town. And yet you get a couple roommates and you, you basically take responsibility for a deficit in your paycheck. So I wasn't getting that extra thousand dollars a month. That's the housing stipend and the food stipend. Uh, I wasn't getting that extra thousand dollars a month, but I was still living off base, paying a thousand dollars in rent a month. And it was split up three ways. So I was only paying like 500 bucks after electricity and internet and water and all that and gas at that place. But um, that was one of the worst decisions I made because I immediately put myself in a deficit, not, not a deficit, but in a position to where, you know, $500, which was a huge portion of my pay at the time, $500 a month um, could have went to savings, could have went to a principal, right? On my car, right? Yeah, and, that's yeah. 6,000 so, a year. So if you had if you had a $12,000 car, which is, that's a pretty nice car. I mean, I drive a 2016 uh, vehicle, which is fairly new. It's within three years of the make and I got it for $12,000. So y you could, pay that car off in two years, which you're not really paying much interest on a two year loan. But the concept that you're talking about, and just like when we first started talking about starting this podcast, I was still in college. And we were it was funny, this is kind of funny, because we were like, dude, there's so many things that we can relate our experiences. Like, there's so many contrasts through the military and through college. And there's so many things that are so much different. But the exact thing that you're talking about right now, so many people did. So Stephen, uh, you remember Stephen, he, he was a Hi. veteran and he was getting his GI Bill and stuff. So they paid for him to live on campus and then he would get the money after getting paid to live on campus. So his meals were paid for, his Wi-Fi, all this, the same amenities you're talking about. And we used to go up there and hang out in his dorm and I had an apartment and he was like, dude, I'm just going to move in with you. So he moved in with me, paid rent, and still had his dorm there getting paid for. And uh, Roland, Pledge, Mullet, um, the same guy, he's doing the same stuff. So he's at Concord on uh, scholarship. He's a, he's a smart kid. Uh, but the way that the approval for off-campus living goes, it, it goes through an office. And if you live further than 30 miles from campus, they won't approve you for off-campus living. It's a total bullshit system. But he got an apartment regardless because, to be fair, living on campus kind of sucks compared to having your own space and being able to cook and all the freedom that it allows because you have bullshit rules whenever you live in a college dorm too, especially where I went to school. But anyways, like this just goes down to making sacrificing certain things for a goal, whether your goal is to pay off your car, to not be in debt, which is a goal that everybody should have is to not be in debt. But like you said, man, 
that $500 a month, it turns into $6,000 a year. And over a three-year span, that's $18,000. That's, I mean, you can max out a Roth IRA at $5,000 a year. And these are the kind of things that if kids would read these books and invest themselves into being financially fit, they would be in a lot better place when they're my age. And I made some mistakes too. I mean, I've done, I've done plenty of things that, uh, wasn't the smartest decision to make and there's a balance, but again, uh, that's just one of those topics that I, I want to build on with you. Cause I know we've discussed this a lot ourselves and how, uh, we're, we're trying to avoid debt like the plague. And I think that's something that could really benefit, even if it's just one person, dude, it changes, it changes people's lives. Yeah. Cause really like when you saddle yourself with, you know, ungodly debt, you have to put yourself and sometimes really sometimes ungodly debt is $8,000. That's not a lot, right? But $8,000 in debt can feel like an ungodly amount of debt. And when you saddle yourself with that, you put yourself in positions where like, I, I remember when I was in, uh, I, you know, it was like five grand worth of debt. And I was like, man, you know, I, I went into some de like, deployments with the mentality of cool. I can move my wife can go to Arizona and she can stay with her folks while she goes to school. The VA will pay her cause she's a veteran. And then in two months, uh, halfway through my deployment, my, all my debt will be paid off. Like you'll, you'll do, you'll rationalize things like that. Like you won't factor in things like you won't see. And, and now this is a little different because I wanted to deploy, uh, for our mission, but, I know guys that have deployed, not factoring in the fact that they're not going to, maybe they're not mentally healthy enough to do this, but they don't factor in their family. They don't factor in uh, not seeing their children. They don't factor in their marital status, like their relationship. And you put yourself in compromising positions just to get out from under that. And um, it's, it's a super dangerous thing to do as far as mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional fitness go it, it, to saddle yourself with a ton of debt. Oh yeah, it, it's it's absolutely crippling. Debt in general is like one of the most anxiety-inducing things that you can do to yourself. Whenever you sign your name to that loan, uh, there's a reason why they call it the master card. They're your master, and you're the slave uh, to that person until you pay that debt. And all of my friends, I preach this to them all the time: pay off your debt as soon as you can, because whenever you pull up those numbers and you look at it, even if it's only for a moment it's going to be super, it's going to make you super anxious. It's going to make you feel debt has a funny way of making you feel hopeless, especially when you do things like what you're talking about, like convincing yourself that there's a quick fix for debt that never really works. The, the, the way to solve the debt problem is to budget and to avoid debt. Now, if you create a, a solid budget or if you're a natural saver, there, there's a couple of different ways to approach this and those things are discussed in the book, The Total Money Makeover. So if you want actual advice from a financial, someone who's more qualified than me to talk about this, um, reference the book. But there's so many strategies to get out of debt, but brushing it off is not one of them. You need to face it head on. You need to construct uh, a plan to get out of debt. And it's, it's, it's a budget. It's a super easy thing to do. Yeah, the military, depending on which base you're at, I, I, this may be at every base, but uh, at least every Air Force base, we have professional uh, financial counselors that work at the, uh, it's called an, uh, a family readiness center. So on an Air Force base, it would be called the Airman Family Readiness Center, where you can take your spouse in, you can take your family in. Like, you know, if you were to come visit me as my brother, you could come with me to see a financial advisor that would cost you four hundred dollars, right? Four or five hundred bucks to see a financial advisor, a professional who will build out a plan. You take them a couple documents, maybe some pay stubs, maybe some, uh, you, you know, all your bills. You take it to them and you say, "Here's what I have. Get me out from underneath this," and they'll do it for you. And for us, it's free. Where on the civilian side, it would cost you five hundred bucks, um, you know, depending on where you're at. Maybe two hundred bucks, two to five, whatever. Um, in New York, you might be charged an arm and a leg. Uh, well, but. dude, like, like, here's the thing, too. Pretty much any institution that you are a part of, 
will do these things. So uh, at work, I, I know my work, I mean, it's not like every workplace. They have great benefits. I work for a regional bank, one of the biggest uh, in the, in this market. So they have those resources. And obviously I work at a bank. I could pretty much talk to anyone for financial advice. And all of these people are fairly financial, financially literate. But going back to college, I mean, I look back on some of the resources that, you know, I, I was invested in like personal development. So I learned these things along the way. And, uh, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about like my inspiration to get into financial literacy. And it, it's a super weird story. But back to like being in college, you have financial counselors there, too. You have counselors, you have very qualified people to go and talk to, especially if you're part of like a business department. Pretty much all of those people are uh, involved in investing and all those different things like that is their re that is their field of research. But then you also have. So if you're taking student loans, uh, the federal government requires that you do entrance and exit counseling for student loans. And these are very powerful tool tools. And I'm sure that, you know, the 21 year olds who are exiting college and looking at their exit counseling, they're just clicking through it and bullshitting it. But really, I mean, it's like, OK, what plan do you want to be on to pay off this debt? What other debt do you have? we're going to help you to build a budget and then you print it off. What's your income? What's your expected, you know, annual salary, things like that. And then it builds it off of that. The biggest problem with people is that they don't want to actually face the fact that they have debt. So they avoid it and just hope that one lump sum is going to come and save them. And by the time that they pay these loans off, they've paid so much interest that they haven't been able to get into an investment account or if their uh, income is fairly low, some of these people are going without health insurance so that they can try to pay their loans off and stuff. That's not good, man. Like that's one of the reasons why I'm super inspired to do this stuff. But you know, it takes a little bit to kick you in the ass. I went broke when I was 18 years old and I spent a couple weeks like living off of ramen and tuna, like the, a, a true college student. But I was watching a YouTube video one night, like a fitness YouTube video. And the guy that I was listening to was like, it was super, he dumbed it down perfectly enough for my dumbass 18 year old self to understand it. I have difficulty doing that, but this guy broke it down perfectly. He was not a financial guru. He was just on there. And he said, he said, listen, man, in my gym bag, I leave a couple hundred dollars rolled up with a rubber band, which I don't recommend you doing. But what he was talking about, he's like, you need rainy day money. He's like, He's like, when you look at the weather, you should always have an umbrella because it's going to rain one day. Depend I mean, obviously, depending on where you live. But the analogy is kind of trying to exemplify that there's going to be a hard time. Your car might break down. You might have medical bills. Something unexpected is going to happen. So I heard that. And when I heard that, I started to save like crazy. I was trying to save as much as I could and do whatever I could to grow my income. And that little step pushed me into this direction and that's all I'm trying to do is like hopefully somebody reads that book hopefully somebody takes the steps that they can to get out of debt and change their family tree which is something that Dave Ramsey talks a lot about and we talk about quite frankly ourselves damn man who who put that metaphor out there is he dead no he's not it's Brandon Carter um I don't really know what kind of content he's, he's putting out there now but I used to just – I literally just watched him for vanity. Like, he's a super jacked guy, and he was doing, like, a lot of home workout stuff, and I couldn't afford a gym membership. Full disclosure, I had a uh, I had a university gym that I could access, but I was working 45 minutes away at the time, and I would go to class until 3, go to work until 9, and by the time I got home, the gym closed shortly after I got home, so I started doing a shit ton of pull-ups and push-ups at home. And this dude was cool. Like he was like, I could relate to him because he's like, for all y'all kids out there that don't have money, take your school backpack, put put your books into it, start cranking out some pull ups with a backpack on. Because like I had been working out for a couple years at this point, normal pull ups really weren't getting it for me. So I was doing that. I was planking, and I was watching one of his videos one night while I was uh, eating dinner, and I had to face that realization as an eighteen year old. I was like, man, I'm eating ramen and tuna, and I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Or I don't want to be in debt. I want to have nice things. 
I want to do all the stuff that this guy's doing. And he was just like, dude, all you have to do is a couple different things. Take the steps to get educated, whether formally or informally, to grow yourself personally and your income will grow with your personal development and then minimize the, the output that you have like budget. That's all you have to do and save money for a rainy day, which in Dave Ramsey's teachings is an emergency fund. And that's what most people know it as is an emergency fund. But he's like, yeah, man, rainy day money. And this dude was keeping it in his gym bag. And that, that really inspires me. And I've, I've put a lot of thought into this. And since then, I've kind of dedicated a large amount of my time into just learning more about what I can do to be more financially fit. And Kevin Hart, another guy, he's another great advocate for financial fitness. There's so many people and so many resources on the internet. There's no excuse to be broke these days. Hell yeah, man. Especially in America. Um, the, and to go back to my initial comment where I asked if he was dead, I know there's two guys in particular that, uh, you and I used to follow you more so than I did, uh, fitness guys that, uh, have sadly passed away one by, uh, he had an accident with a train during a photo shoot, I believe. And then the other one, I, I think he died of natural causes, maybe induced by some sort of chemical, but heart disease, uh, steroids, um, he was, was that, it, it was the aesthetics guy. Yeah, it was it was Aziz Shavershian. He is he went by Aziz. That was his alias. Um, but he, I mean, this is how I got started, man. Just going onto the internet and it changed my life forever. So exercise and discipline, just like all of the principles tie together. And I hope to one day be wise enough to be able to like pass these analogies on to younger people. But just powerful things like these guys are like, you know, you don't have to be who you are right now. That's what I took from it. And it, it was super encouraging. I was like a scrawny broke kid. And these guys were telling me, Hey, if you go to the gym and hit it hard, you don't have to be scrawny. And Hey, if you get a job and you work hard, you don't have to be broke. And that's a realization that sadly a lot of people don't make There's, They just, they just think that things are always going to be the way that they are hence like a fixed mindset so you for me like fitness was the launching pad to developing a growth mindset and really learning how to learn so when i was in the gym and i first had to learn how to bench press squat push up pull up all that stuff there's a learning curve but i had to learn how to learn those things and i applied that into other things in my life so yeah i i think for sure and you you saw that kind of personal developing me as a young man and I was a shithead. I was a total idiot. And I still am growing today. But these guys who a lot of people would think are just vain and stuff like that, I owe a lot to. Like the internet alone has taught me a lot about how, how to be a man and how to take responsibility and ownership of who I am. Yeah, I, I have a certified degree from YouTube University. Um, it, it is one of the greatest uh, assets that I think – is possibly underutilized. Uh, the podcast forum, you know, the, the forum that we're fortunate enough to, to take part in, the, you know, YouTube, Twitter, you can learn so many things. If you go on to Twitter right now, or YouTube is a better resource for learning, but even if you go on a Twitter, I'm, I guarantee you, you can find a Twitter that is solely dedicated to teaching you physics or advanced algebra or fucking you know, how to read English. Like you can, you can go on here and you can learn a new language solely using the internet. Um, you can learn advanced mathematics. You can learn uh, geography. There's so many different, anything you want to learn, you can learn there. Um, obviously it's supplemental, right? You need life experience. Um, you need to, to get out there and, and practical application. But for the most part, and that's something we encounter too in this next venture that we're going on. Um, there's a lot of pushback because, you know, there's always that, there's always that person that's like, there's only so much you can learn by reading, you know, um, there's only, only so much you can learn in a classroom. And it's like, man, uh, the life, life should be your classroom, whether it's debt, minimalism, fitness, um, taking all different, 
all different mediums of information and then apply it in a way that's best for you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is like some of the most powerful insight that I can give to a young man. And like, these are things that I try to help my friends with because, you know, I was fortunate enough to be shoved into this direction. So, you know, not many men got to come up with the mentors that I had. I had some powerful men in my life. I had Jeff Bowman. I had some hard men. And not only in my personal life did I encounter men that challenged me to be better and told me when I was being, um, I, I, you know, I had my dad, I had a strong family. I had a lot of stuff that I'm super grateful for that a lot of people didn't get to have. I had uh, all of those things, but I also had the influence of the internet. And that's something that took me to the next level. So, you know, I, I feel like I kind of portray myself as someone who has it figured out sometimes, you know, uh, but I haven't always been like this. I haven't always been at the level that I am. And, you know, you haven't either. But one of the things that I've done is take every initiative that I can to grow personally. And I, I've had a couple of my friends just tell me like, dude, I can't focus in class. Like I can't, I can't pay attention to the teacher. It bores me. I can't read my books. To be quite frank with you, I struggle with that myself. I made my way through college and I graduated uh, with some kind of honors by using those tools like YouTube. So most days in class, I didn't pay much attention. I tried to engage in the dialogue, but I wasn't really paying attention or engaging the teacher in, in any meaningful way. I was just trying to contribute to the conversation, if that makes sense, to show them that I was there. Cause I needed that extra effort. I really am not a naturally great student. I was just like a total failure in high school. I remember going into my senior year of high school. Uh, I was going out for the football team at the time, which I ended up, you know, not playing that season, but I went into the coach's office and this was like the final slap in the face. He was like, Hey man, you don't have the grades to play. And I was like, Holy fuck. How did this happen to me? I was like, I'm, I'm not stupid. How did this happen? So I go and I talk to the business teacher that gave me an F and I was like, Hey, I'll do anything, whatever to get out of this situation. She let me write a book report and you know, I, I, I took the cheap way out and I got out of that situation. But once I got to college, it took me failing and it took me having that embarrassing moment to face the coaches and everyone being like, dude, what the fuck? You don't even have a 2.0. Um, and then getting conditionally accepted into college and then ending up graduating with honors. For me, what I'm trying to give back to people is showing them, hey, I was the same way. I can't focus in a classroom setting that well. I'm not the quickest learner. But one thing about me, I took a class that taught me a lot about learning and like really engaging. And uh, any, if anybody's from Concord, they know about decision sciences too. And I would spend like, I shit you not, three hours a day watching YouTube videos, Khan Academy, all that stuff, trying to figure out statistics and calculus. And it was a super rigorous course, but I put in the extra time. And like a lot of people, you might, you don't have to be the sharpest tool in the shed. Just spend a little extra time, you know? Yeah, man. It's all about the work you put in, you know? And, and um, my job is pretty studious. And a lot of the time, especially with military, like military related uh, knowledge, acronyms, communications, aircraft specific knowledge, it's dry, it's boring, and you don't want to learn it. But sometimes you just have to sit down and you have to commit yourself. Like uh, what I do, the trick that I do with my wife is I tell her, I'm like, I'm locking myself in the bedroom for two hours. And I set a timer for 23 minutes, right? And I study, I read, I straight up read the same thing I've read uh, over and over again for the last six years. I read that same document, our technical order, and I'll sit down and I'll read our TO is what we call it. Um, it's basically the schematics of the aircraft, how it works, what to do with it, what to do when it breaks. And I, I told my wife, I was like, hey, I'm going to lock myself in the bedroom for two hours tonight. And it's one night a month, maybe. Right. But it makes you exponentially better to just set aside that time to say, this might suck, but this is what I'm going to do. And then I sit myself down and 
um, give myself mental breaks. I do 23 minutes of studying and then five minutes of relaxing. So I'll put on a YouTube video or something. And in that two hours, you end up watching, you know, two or three 10 minute YouTube videos. But you also, you get in some legit study time. So um, it's the same thing with pull-ups, push-ups, sit-ups, running. It sucks, man. If you're running for 20 minutes, it's going to suck the entire time. But you just do it, right? You knock it out so it's no factor. You know, discipline equals freedom. Yeah, no factor. That's that's exactly kind of the anecdote that I was going to lead into is like Jocko talks about this, man. He's, he, he talks about it. And like some people are just go-getters. Some people can just get the fuck after it. And I've met people like that. We were just like, yeah, no problem, dude. I'll work 16 hours. I personally am not like that. I have mental resistance. I would probably classify myself as someone who is, who can at times be soft, want to get comfortable. But now that I've built those mental calluses, I know when I'm getting soft. So for me, I always try to come up with something that brings me out of that. So currently right now to kind of, segue into working out and meal prepping and stuff like that. And again, this is a segue to change your life. It's not all about vanity. I don't work out to try to get jacked, but for me, I'm just, I'm trying not to get soft. I'm trying to overcome that mental resistance. So I've noticed I'm, I'm a little bit tired at the end of the day, whenever I get into the gym. So I'm thinking about how I can kind of like biohack that and, and optimize my time. So I'm like, shit, dude, I'm going to strap on a weight vest and go out on my lunch break and get it in in the parking lot of my work because I have to take a mandatory one-hour work break. And I know some of the listeners right now have to take a one-hour lunch break. And when you guys tell me that you can't work out, if I go out in this parking lot and I start working out and I can't do it, I'll be like, yeah, you guys were right. But if I go out there and I get my workout in, use some baby wipes to wipe off real quick and get back in there, knock out a couple more hours of work, you guys have no excuse not to do it yourselves, but you know, I haven't done it yet, but I, I anticipate getting out into the parking lot and grinding it out for an hour during my lunch break. Cause I can eat throughout the day. And, uh, is, those there, are the little... is there a gym near where you work? Uh, yeah, but where I work, uh, there's a lot of traffic. There's heavy traffic, especially at lunchtime. So my gym is only like three miles from where I work but it would probably take me 30 minutes to get there and 30 minutes back. So this yeah. is what I'm, this is what I'm saying. There's no excuse. Pack a go bag, throw it into your, uh, throw it into your trunk and just get it in. And I know for me, this is what does it for me. Like resistance exercise makes me feel accomplished. It makes me feel comfortable and it gives me the freedom to be able to eat the food that I like to eat or food that, uh, just eating an excess of food, even sometimes if I'm getting it in hard, I like to eat, I like to drink a little bit. So it gives me that mental space to be like, okay, I can do that. That's cool. No problem. Like you said, no factor. So I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get some sprints in. And I was talking to someone this weekend about it. And you always, you not only have to deal with mental resistance, but you have people who will question your logic. So I had someone who was like, yeah, you're, uh, your coworkers are really going to be making, making fun of you. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm probably, I'm, I'm going to laugh that off because they're not going to look like I do. And like I said, it's not all about vanity. They're not going to feel like I do. They're not going to have that personal satisfaction. And I envy the people, the men, the women, all the people who can go without working out and feel great. I mean, I, I don't think it's possible, at least from my perspective, but if you do more power to you. And there's, there's a harsh truth that the person that said that to you, um, there's a harsh truth that they're ignoring. And that harsh truth is, as men, we respect men visually. Like, as soon as we meet somebody, if you meet somebody that you've never met before, regardless of their position, maybe they're the CEO of a company. If their shoulders are more narrow than their waist, you've immediately lost respect. Like they're going to have to earn your respect via what comes out of their mouth next. Cause it better be something good. You know, this guy better be a savant because I cannot like just my immediate assessment, at least this is how it is in the military. Um, and this is something that people in the military ignore, man. 
But as soon as you walk into a room, your presence is built on your physicality. And you don't have to be jacked up the frame. You don't have to be lifting. You don't have to be a meathead man. But you need to be fit because that shows personal responsibility. How the hell can I expect you to do your job if you can't even take care of yourself? How can I expect you to take care of multi-million dollar aircraft, multi-million dollar assets? How can I expect you to save someone else's life if you can't even preserve your own you know right and i think it's an interesting point that there are savant-esque people out there who can do it so you have someone like elon musk who takes ambient to sleep and all these uppers or his energy is just throwing he's through the roof he's ideas 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 and he's moving through the day and he doesn't really exercise he's openly discussed that uh, but he gets shit he gets shit done and he garners mass respect from people so there there are people out there who can do it but there are little steps that you can take too fitness isn't only about exercise it could be your diet uh as long as you're not eating a ton of sugar like i i one of my professors he was sharp as a tack dude he was one of the smartest people i ever met and he really wasn't out of shape and granted he got exercise he played tennis with his son all the time or some shit like that but um he he ate right he he ate uh good food he ate lean food and he was interested in diets that would make him better and more cognitively like primed. So there are some of those things that you can do too. And I, again, like it's not all about vanity, but even if you're just going out and getting your run in, getting a jog in, playing tennis with your kids, going out and shooting some hoop. Uh, I know a lot of guys get out of athletics and they get discouraged. Dude, stay after it, go and shoot some hoop, like spend 30 minutes, 20 minutes, 10 minutes a day stretching, whatever it is that you can do. And even some people, find that same personal satisfaction from drinking water. I mean, I try to do all the good shit for my body because I'm trying to be the the best that I can be uh, most days. Some days I fall through, but there are people out there who gain that same satisfaction from drinking water. And that's good. If you, if you commit 10 minutes a day, this is what I ask people. And really it turns into 20 minutes. If you factor in the pre um, the pre run stretching and the changing in the clothes and then you factor in the post-run shower, it turns into 20 minutes. So I'll say 20 minutes. If you commit 20 minutes a day to physical exercise, right, you you change in your workout clothes and you just go run for 10 minutes. The baseline average, right, I think the American average for a mile is 10 minutes. Just commit 10 minutes and go for a run, you know. It's 10 minutes of your day. What is one hour of your day? So it's one hour of your day is 4% of your entire day. So I'm asking you to give – um, it, it's less than 20%, you know, I'm asking you to give less than 20% of your 4%. And I'm not a math guy, so I don't know what that is, but take 4%, take 20% of that, whatever. Right. So I'm asking you to give a minimal amount of your day and commit it to just jogging it out. And, uh, yeah, just go for a run for 10 minutes a day. And then you slowly will become the guy who runs a mile every day. And then you'll get bored with that. You'll be like, man, I've been running the same track. Like maybe I'll do this different route. And maybe that different route turns into 1.25. And then, you know, you do another one, 1.5, two miles. And then you're the guy who's running two miles a day. If you're running two miles a day, dude, there's no way you're not healthy, you know? And you can go out of your way. You can go out of your way and be the guy that fucking eats Wendy's for every meal, but still runs two miles a day. And maybe you're still unhealthy as far as your blood work goes, but at least you're doing that. You know, that's a personal win that is going to allow you not only to succeed physically, but mentally you're going to be the guy that runs a mile a day. Right. And that's going to translate to when you're seeking companionship, that's going to translate to when you're trying to crush out your, you know, you got this term paper if you're in school and you're trying to crush it. Right. And you, you just fill in behind, dude, you're the guy that runs a mile a day, man. You can do this. If you can do that, you can do anything, you know, and it's, it's small battles one, you know, every day, dude, it's a, it's a every day. It's facing those battles every day. And like, again, I always try to tell my friends too, because they've seen me when I'm weak, they've seen me when I'm strong, but if I can give any wisdom to people, it, it's do those, win those little battles, overcome that mental resistance and mental resistance is within you. It's internal and external. So you have people kind of like, you know, the guy who said that I, I respect him a lot. Like he, he, he's one of the people that I respect most. And he is an avid listener of our podcast. Um, but 
let's say that this whole spiel has motivated him to go and walk a mile at the track every day during his lunch hour instead of hanging around. Like if he does that one time and he comes back, he's going to feel a lot better and he's going to see exactly what I'm talking about when I discuss these things. And that's to me a really powerful uh, motive to kind of, kind of spread the wealth, you know, like get people in on this stuff. You'll be better at your job. You'll be better at a lot of things. And the guy that I'm talking about, he exercises. Uh, I know he eats fairly well. So uh, it's not really just targeted as him targeted to him, but all the people that are listening, just do the little things, win the little battles. And uh, you know, once you start doing it, your friends in your group will pick up on it and it's infectious. And then you're all winning. You know what I mean? And that is, true leadership that's that's leading from the front you know yeah so i think that's a perfect way to segue into the conclusion of this episode um today we have talked about uh minimalism minimalism i fudge that word up uh so we've talked about minimalism we've talked about overcoming debt we've talked about discipline equals freedom uh how to conquer your inner bitch uh, <laughs> but, uh, do you have any parting words for the Ocash mob? Not really. Just stay after it, you know, uh, do whatever you can do to learn, check out total money makeover, get on YouTube, find some people that are better than you and make you feel like dog shit. That's going to motivate you to get out of bed every day and be better. Sometimes it's not so awesome to look at a dude who has a Lamborghini and a six pack abs and a hot wife and has it all figured out. But for me, that's something that helps me get out of bed and motivates me to be better every day. So if you can do those little things, get the fuck after it. Just do it, man. Hell yeah. Just do it. It's a shot do of it. it. <laughs> yeah, man. But uh, <clears throat> I think that's a great conclusion. Uh, thank you, everybody who's listening today. Uh, continue to listen up. Tyler and I are actually going to roll into the next episode, episode 12, here in just a second. Um so we will see you guys after episode 11. So we'll see you in episode 12 of Overtly Casual. Thanks for listening. See ya. See ya.